last night the Northfield School Board uh, met for the final time, I believe, in uh, 2021. It's on to 2022. We have Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman, joining us. Matt, thank you so much for coming in today. It's always a pleasure, Jeff. Great to see you today. Mm-hmm. You had the last meeting of uh, the calendar year, the calendar year, the correct, school yes, year yep. or the fiscal year, but uh, you did have some fiscal things that happened last night, and that is uh, the school levy. Uh, the uh, tax levy, I should say, for the school district uh, was approved last night. Uh, give us the details of that. So we held our truth and taxation hearing that's required uh, last evening. And so part of that, uh, Director of Finance uh, Val Murdestorf, uh presents the proposed levy. Of course, back in September, we adopted the preliminary levy at the maximum that you are allowed. And you can't uh, go more than what your uh, maximum levy uh, authority was when after you adopt the preliminary levy. Um, our the uh, adopted levy last night is slightly less than what was the preliminary levy. So um, our tax levy will be down 1.5% over last year. Uh, the total is $20,009,247.48, if you want to get specific. <laughs> so I think one of the key things is, Jeff, this time of year, I know you have a number of other administrators you know, who come through from other governmental uh, jurisdictions to talk about there are truth and taxation presentations that are required under law, and uh, and really, we are so different. The school district is so different from the other taxing jurisdictions. Our uh, levy is highly regulated uh, by the state government, and so the vast majority of our levy is directly derived from student counts. Now, we also have quite a bit that's voter-approved, which we're very grateful to the community for their generous support of our schools uh, over the years. But even that, most of that is really uh, generated based upon the number of students that you have. So as we've talked about many times before, uh, the demographic study that we had done nearly a decade ago that we're updating right now uh, had indicated we'd see declining enrollment, and that is coming true. And so we have less students this year than we did last year. This was predicted long before the pandemic. And um, so our the real reason for the levy being down 1.5% is we have less students this year than last year. Uh, so, you know, for what we should see is for people whose homes are the same uh, valuation as they were last year, which, you know, that does not happen very mm-hmm. often. It, theoretically, if you have a $200,000 home, your taxes would be around 7% less uh, for 2022 as they were in 2021. Again, we know that that's a rarity that anybody's mm-hmm. home stays the exact same value. But um, so we, we were able to present that truth and taxation levy. The key thing is that the Levy will be down 1.5% for a, a total of just a hair over $20 million. Now, you have, uh, with reduced uh, revenues coming in, reduced students, you have reduced revenues. Is there much of a change in the expenses that the school has? Are you able to cut a little bit to make up for that, or are your, uh, finances, are your expenses fixed? So, uh, as you all know, uh, the school district uh, has invested a, a lot of dollars, about $59 million of our budget, uh, in, you know, into serving students and the community. So our, our costs for the year are fixed, but we have had excellent financial, and, and they're not necessarily fixed. It's very difficult, obviously, to scale back anything during the school year. But, Jeff, we've talked many times about the really quality financial stewardship that the school district has done you know, for, I would say, the last 15 or 16 years. Uh, we have a fund balance goal of 16%. So that means that we want to have 16% of our annual expenditures in reserve, in the bank, if you will. That provides us that flexibility to address a number of things, including 
the massive uncertainty that was created at the beginning of the pandemic, right? We, we all knew that there were some additional expenses that uh, we needed to be able to handle how we have been uh, teaching students during a pandemic and serving families during a pandemic. So that good financial management that we have had over the years allows us to work through things like this. But I've also talked with you about state funding and that state funding hasn't kept up with inflation for 30 years. And we certainly have seen the latest uh, inflation index coming out of uh, the, the CPI. And so we know that even the historic investment that was made by the legislature last session is not even enough to keep up with almost a third of inflation uh, this year. So moving forward, uh, we know that we can't outrun uh, a, a underfunding, chronic underfunding from the state. So we'll be looking at what we, we're calling a priority-based budgeting process where we're going to be looking out five years um, and trying to ensure that we're able to live within what we have over the next five years. So we'll be talking about that after January. And you also, uh, one of the requirements uh, that uh, the uh, state, I believe is the state, uh, requires you get an audit each year. Uh, that was discussed last night. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the audit is, uh, again, another indicator of financial health, and I'm really proud to report to the community that um, this audit presentation from Clifton Larson Allen was uh, not just excellent, it was superb. And so this is really important for the community to have the confidence in how the district handles its finances. Of course, the audit is about how do you how do you have processes and procedures in place to make sure that uh, the money is spent properly. It's coded appropriately based upon state and federal law. So, you know, we have, a, as we said, we have around a $59 million expenditure budget, and there were no findings at all. So a finding would be if they uh, look at some kind of process issue or internal control. We had no findings, and they issued a clean audit. Um, this is huge. It's not the first time that we've had this happen, but it is unusual. And especially uh, the auditor, uh, Craig Popenhagen from Clifton Larson Allen, made special uh, discussion about how challenging um, this was when we were talking about responding to the pandemic, the infusion of some of the uh, rescue funds that we had with rules that changed sometimes as we went along. And so we're very proud that uh, we have a clean audit. Not only is it a a clean audit, um, no findings, they also do something that's called a single audit where they even go into deeper detail. And if you have $750,000 of total uh, federal expenditure, so this is another layer of you know, looking under the hood, if you will, uh, they tested special education, which they do almost every year, and the coronavirus relief funds, and they found no compliance issues. So uh, we really want to just congratulate Director of Finance Val Murdestorf and her team uh, in our finance office for the work that they've done to put processes and procedures in place uh, to make sure that our taxpayers can have the confidence that their money is being spent and the, and the funds are be, being handled appropriately. Boy, that is... Uh it's good to know, you know, as a as a taxpayer and uh, here in town that uh, they, they're crossing their T's, dotting their I's, and every single one of them, probably in a in a large stack of papers, every uh, every single one of those uh, came out correct. So good, good deal. Uh, you changed the meeting time last night as well. You'll be meeting uh, uh, an hour earlier. Yes, yeah, so be, almost be like daylight savings time. Yeah. I, I think it's important. <laughs> let's not get into that, Jeff. Okay. That's a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, you know, I, I think that it's important for the board. Um, you know, f- the board is often dealing with real important, specific issues, and some important issues that the board rarely looks at, other than its organizational meeting in January, are how does the board do its work? Right, that's an important piece of, of not just what are the decisions made, but what are the how does the board do its work? And and one of the things is 
when do you have your meeting, right? And so uh, the board did vote last night to begin in January to start meeting at 6 p.m. as opposed to 7 p.m. Boards met at 7 p.m. for many, many years, um, but they're going to move the meeting to 6 p.m. Part of that was really just trying to back it up a little bit so that we would have the meeting end a little bit earlier. Uh, we know that we do use quite a bit of our meeting time. Our, our, our goal is uh, – it's not our goal. We are required to have our meeting in less than three hours whenever possible. There actually has to be a motion to go beyond 10 o'clock under the current uh, 7 o'clock start time. And you know we use our board meetings in a variety of different ways. Some uh, school districts might have one business meeting and one work session. We have two business meetings, but that it often includes reports that you would typically maybe hear in a work session. So our meetings typically do go two, two and a half hours. And so just making sure that some of those important discussions are taking place a little bit earlier in the evening was really the main discussion uh, that the board had. And so Again, beginning uh, in January, we'll start meeting at 6 p.m. And then they also mod modified the policy to say that uh, whenever possible, the meetings should end by 9 p.m. Uh, Superintendent Matt Hillman is with us from the Northfield School District. Uh, your strategic plan was adopted last night. Yes, and as you know, we've talked about this many times, Jeff, and a strategic plan... Um, you know, if you're listening, you might think, oh, well, who cares about that? That, doesn't, that? that sounds like a foofy, you know, term. But a strategic plan is really important, you know, to any organization, any of the business uh, community who's listening. They all have a strategic plan. Of, you, you have a strategic plan of how you're going to run your business here at KYMN The One. And ours is just as important, if not even more important, uh, because of the people who we serve and the funding that we are entrusted with. And so uh, we try to update our strategic plan at least every five years. And so the last time we updated this was in 2016, so it was time to update it. Um, the board, uh, we, we started this way back last spring when we started having meetings with staff and uh, some of our advisory groups this fall. We had several meetings, as we talked about, with um, uh, opportunities for members of the community. We presented an initial draft uh, in early November. Uh, we had an opportunity for a work session solely about the strategic plan in November. Uh, and then we brought this back to the board uh, last night for approval. So this has been a long process, a little longer than we normally would have done had it not been for the pandemic, uh, but we're there. And so the board did do some minor adjustments of the vision. So the new school district vision is we, pre we prepare every student for lifelong success by developing critical thinkers who are curious and ready to engage in our society. Now, if that doesn't fire you up, Jeff, I don't know what does. I mean, that's what we are cre we, we are charged with helping pave the way for our future through educating children. And I think we all want people who think critically. We all, all want people who are curious and they're prepared to be engaged in our society. That's something that's very important to Northfielders. And we want to make sure that we're doing that for every student. And the word every is underlined. That's really important. There are five strategic commitments that we've identified. People, learner outcomes, equity, communication, stewardship and partnerships and those all have a, a sentence that um, come after them the one that i want to focus on is just sometimes in education we've heard this term equity used in a variety of different ways and i just want to define what we mean by equity our statement around equity is that we will we, we ensure that every underlined every child has a fair opportunity to reach their full potential so that means that we are trying to remove barriers for kids to be able to pursue the american dream and so when we think about equity, you hear this, you read a lot of the, the term has been misused. It has been intentionally misused. Um, but when we come back to it, the, the word equity in our really talks about basic human decency 
and that we ensure every child has a fair opportunity to reach their full potential. Um, we want to be transparent in our communication. We want to prepare kids academically and socially. That's their, our learner outcomes. We know that we're a people business, so we prioritize the engagement and satisfaction and support of our students, staff, uh, and family. And we are very blessed with a lot of partnerships in this community. And so we want to make sure that our partners, uh, we, we are using those partners in a way that helps uh, accelerate the achievement of our goals. They also adopted uh, 11 benchmarks. And these benchmarks align with the Northfield Promise benchmarks. Now, they're not word for word, not, but they align with Northfield, the Northfield Promise benchmarks. With Northfield Promise is a, a collaboration of 20 community organizations, including county government, city government, the hospital, the colleges, the business community, who are all saying, let's make sure that all of our resources, all of our ideas are going in the same direction so that we're providing an efficient vision, we're providing an efficient method you know, of making sure that kids get what they need to be successful. So we're talking about things like being ready for kindergarten, being connected to your community, reading at grade level in math, uh, and reading at grade level and being uh, at grade level in mathematics. Uh, we're talking about exhibiting physical, social, and emotional well-being, uh, having a connection with a caring adult beyond uh, their parents, making sure that every kid has interests, goals, and a vision for the future by the end of eighth grade. They have a chart of here's, I can see myself being successful, that positive future narrative, so critical for kids. I'm talking about when kids graduate from high school, that they have a plan to reach their full potential. We don't care what that plan is, but that you have a plan. Um, it could be entering the world of work. It could be going to a highly selective four-year college. It could be doing a rotary semester abroad, but you have a plan for what you're going to do after high school. Not that that can't change too, right? Mm -hmm. um, we want our employees to have satisfaction in the workplace. We want our parents to be satisfied with their children's educational experience. We want to have a fiscally healthy district that maintains 16% of its annual expenditures as part of our unassigned fund balance to address the uncertainties that we have from time to time, like I shared. And we want our community education program to provide relevant and accessible learning opportunities for all residents. So those are the benchmarks we're excited about. We'll start to roll this out here in the, over the next uh, month or so. So thanks for letting me share it. It's, we're, we're really excited about the community participation. We didn't have as many people participate, but we really got robust feedback from all of our stakeholders. You know, a plan is only as good as its implementation is, as you, you well know. Uh, you have, how often will you uh, look into this uh, from, from a board level, uh, look back and say, hey, are, are we achieving this? Is this what we're doing? How often do you do that? For sure, every year. Mm -hmm. So... As you know, you've attended. I offer the State of the District presentation every mm -hmm. fall. I'll, you saw this year I gave some reports around those. what well, we had five strategic commitment areas at that time. So that's one way that I'll be presenting it to the board and to the community. Also, about half of these benchmarks also are required to be reported through the state's World Best Workforce Program uh, or um, statute. So we basically will report on that in a public hearing every October. So multiple times a year, Jeff, we'll be looking, not only will the board be looking at it, but we'll be sharing it directly with the community. Superintendent Hillman is with us. We only have a couple of minutes left, but each, uh, each of the meetings for the past year and a half, almost two years, you've given a COVID update. Uh, what was last night? Uh, what did that involve? Yeah, so the real important part of last night's COVID update is we started, we offered a draft of some potential exit criteria. Now, and when we talk about exit criteria, we're talking about exiting from the current safety protocols that we have, which is universal masking, as we've talked about quarantine and some other pieces uh, that go along with that. So uh, as we know, uh, the conditions in Minnesota right now are not great. In fact, they're among the top five weeks or so of the worst that we've, we've been since the beginning of the pandemic. So we're not trying to say, oh, my God, it's over. But we, are we always acknowledge the difficulty that we're in. 
But once we had elementary school vaccination available to five, uh, vaccination available to five through eleven-year-olds, Jeff, we had an unknown become a known, and we could then chart what is the way forward where we could exit from the safety protocols that we have and really get back to normal. Having kids in person every day is the most important thing. We're prioritizing uninterrupted in-person learning. The draft that the board heard last night really included three different pieces. One is that uh, in order for us to exit uh, the current safety protocols, and again, this is a draft, nothing was adopted. It was simply the, f- the first effort to share with the board last night. The school influenza illness rate, uh, influenza-like illness rate would need to be less than 5% on average per week. That has not been a problem all year. That's a statistic we've used for years. We're in very good shape with that, but that's a, a one of our pieces we want to make sure we look at. And then the second part is a chart, Jeff, that talks about what is the current, what we're calling an immunity rate. So the total number of K-12 students vaccinated plus the total number of K-12 students who had a COVID infection in the last 90 days. And we look at that percentage starting at less than 60 and going up to 80. And that informs when you look over to the right, depending on where we land in that grid, we look over how many cases, what would the seven-day case rate per 100,000 county residents need to be under for three consecutive weeks to show that we are showing lower transmission. So the concept is the higher that we have immunity within our school system, the greater number of cases we could allow in that seven-day case rate um, at the county level because our local population would be more infect- uh, more, uh, more protected, if you will, against that. So that's where we're starting. It's really an if-then statement, um, and just using uh, what our, our immunity rate is within the system to inform what could we allow the transmission rate to be. All right. Superintendent Hillman, thank you so much for coming in today. It's my pleasure, Much Jeff. appreciated, and we'll see you again soon. Take care. Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Matt Hillman. We've got uh, Rich with local news headlines coming up in just a moment or so. Here's state news with MNN. Current and former Amazon employees are speaking out after a report that Amazon warehouse workers in Minnesota are over twice as likely to be injured on the job as counterparts who work for other companies. Fardosa Youssef said through an interpreter that when he was injured, he was sent home and the record was deleted from the system. Then I went to my doctors and when I brought the right documents from my doctor, they told me that we do not accept this particular papers or this uh, report. State Representative Emma Greenman promises hearings when lawmakers go back into session. The Minnesota National Guard breaks ground on a new training and community center today in Laverne in the southwest corner of the state. And authorities are reminding Minnesotans that ice thickness varies greatly at this time of year. The Scott County Sheriff's Office says there is no such thing as 100% safe ice. The DNR recommends four inches of clear ice for walking. This is Amanet. In this moment, who has your back? Do you know the name of your insurance agent? Does your agent know your name? Or would you call an 800 number that connects you with who? Another state? Another country? Get a local independent insurance agent with Auto Owners Insurance. Someone you can call when bad stuff happens. At this moment, get an agent who will protect you in that moment. Call Hartman Insurance of Northfield today at 507-645-5693. From the KYMN News Center, Rich Larson is back with us with a look at local news headlines. Rich? Hi, Jeff. The Minnesota State Legislature will...